We are continuing this morning in our study of good works. As I said, last week we're coming to the end of this series. And then for the month of December we'll do uh, something. uh, I think we're going to do uh, different aspects of Jesus for the month of December. uh, As we are transitioning into, uh, out of this series that is. And we're going to, over the next few weeks, adjust our approach slightly. We have been, of course... Uh, going through this list, right? Uh, not just in one scripture, but uh, these good works that we should devote ourselves to. We've talked about uh, hospitality and visiting and, and the different things of fellowship and, and a, a number of different works that we've discussed in, in places like Romans and 1 Corinthians. And of course, our verse that sort of kicked all this off was Titus 3.8. The saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things. That's me. I'm the one insisting, right? Uh, I have the job that Titus had. Uh, that the, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And of course, this comes in First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus. This idea comes off a discussion of uh, genealogies and, and arguments about words and discussions about the law and all these sort of things that we like to argue about. But Paul emphasizing to Timothy and Titus, direct the people to doing good, doing good works, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things, the good works, are excellent and profitable for people. That would be us. Excellent and profitable for us. Uh, And again, we're not talking about profitable in the sense of making money, but profitable in the sense of growing as Christians, right? Growing in our relationship with God. Now, over the next few weeks, as we've been discussing the, the, the works themselves, I want to transition into a discussion of attitudes and emotions. Motivation and how we do these things. We're going to continue to discuss some of the specific good works in these scriptures. But as we think about good works that we're devoting ourselves to, it's easy to fall into a particular trap in our devotion to these things. That we are only doing them when it's easy. Or we're only doing them for people we like. Or we're only doing them because we see some benefit for ourselves. As we transition from a discussion of the good works themselves to the attitudes that we have, we have to be asking ourselves in our own lives, think about the good that you're doing. Right? These things that we've listed and talked about. Maybe you're doing some of those things. Why are you doing them? And today, most specifically, who are you doing them for? These good works that are in your life. Romans 12, 3 through 8, a verse that we've read numerous times because it is so cogent to this discussion. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned for us in one body. We have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. This is one of the lists that we've been using. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal. And this last one is what we're going to be focusing on mostly today. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Acts of mercy. What does that mean, to do an act of mercy? Well, we're going to hopefully answer that as we go through this lesson. Beginning with the question, who deserves 
our good works. Who should we be doing good for? Who deserves that? And if we're being honest with ourselves, a lot of times we only do good to people we like. We only do good to people who can benefit us in some way or people that make us feel good about it. But what does he say in Romans 12? By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That is what? That you're not just going to be, I'm only going to do good for the people who I think deserve it. Because I am the ultimate judge and arbiter of that, right? I'm the one who gets to determine who is worthy of my good. You're not thinking with sober judgment when we start having that attitude. And I think a lot of times it's not conscious, right? We're not thinking about things in that term consciously. I don't think most of us wake up this morning and think, who do I, who's, who's going to deserve my good works today? None of us think that way. Well, I shouldn't say that. Hopefully none of us think that way. But then we only do good to certain kinds of people, Right? Because we put ourselves in the position of judge. We need to be thinking with sober judgment, each according to the faith that God has assigned. Verses 9 through 13. This is after uh, this text here, after his discussion of the good works that we're supposed to be doing. He goes on in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. That is what? You're sort of dragging your feet about the good that you're going to do. Oh, I guess I'll do it if I have to. But don't be slothful, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Uh, twice in this verse, in these verses here, uh, he talks about the idea of con uh, uh, contribution, the one who contributes in generosity. Here he says the same thing at the end here, right? Uh, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. We've talked about a lot of these different things, but I want to note the attitude here. Let love be genuine. Genuine love is what? It is all-encompassing. It is universal. It is given to everyone. When we start picking and choosing who gets our love, it stops being genuine. It starts being selfish love. When we outdo one another in showing honor, that means I'm, I'm not discriminating in who I'm showing honor to, but I'm, I'm trying to show honor to everybody, right? I'm not going to be slothful. I'm going to be fervent. What does that word fervent mean? Have you ever known a fervent person? Somebody who's super passionate? It doesn't have to be about this necessarily. Uh, somebody who's maybe fervent of, of their sports fandom. I'm sure we all know people like that. Super passionate about their sports fandom. Well, here what? Be fervent in... Spirit, in the way that we serve the Lord, be fervent, passionate, excited, eager. That it is your focus and drive. And of course we see how. We keep reading in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Oh, I don't like this verse at all. This is so inconvenient. Because when people persecute me, what do I want to do? Well, one of two things. Depending on your personality... You either want to be mean to them and persecute them back, or you want nothing to do with them. Those are the two sort of, it's the fight or flight instinct, right? That's what it is. Uh, when people are mistreating us, I either just want nothing to do with that person, or I really want to be mean to them back. I tend towards the be mean to them back. That's what my personality is. I'm confrontational sort of fellow. And I really just, just want to, you know how it is. Maybe I'm the only one that feels that way. What does it say? It doesn't even just say ignore. 
That would be nice, right? If it just said ignore those who persecute you. No, it doesn't even just say that. Bless those who persecute you. How am I going to bless them? By doing good to them. By being a benefit in their life. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. I think we talked a bit about this verse last week. Uh, the idea of empathy. We need empathy in our doing good. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Now I'm seeing the two groups of people here that typically we would avoid doing good to. One is people who are mean to me. Two is the lowly. Who's the lowly? Well, we can think about that in a number of different avenues. We could think about the physically lowly, those who are poor, who don't have a lot, who are looked down upon by society because of their physical means. Because, again, what do we tend to do? Either, sub, uh, I think mostly subconsciously, we do good to those who we think will be able to do good to us in return. But we're thinking about doing good to the lowly, somebody who's not going to be able to be a blessing to me in return, but I'm still supposed to associate with them, to do good for them. Or we can think about the lowly who are in a different way. Maybe it's not financial. Maybe it has to do with just other ways that people are outcast in society. Disability. Maybe in certain times and places racially. There is a component of sort of social status to this, right? You know, people that are looked down upon in society. And what does Paul tell us? Don't be haughty. That is, don't ignore those people. Don't think you're better than those people. Goes back to what he previously said, right? Not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Who deserves our good works? Everyone. Everyone. If we want to use one word to answer that question. Romans 12, 20 through 21, we keep reading, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, and here's the point, right? We think about bless those who persecute you. Well, maybe it just means good attitudes. Send them good vibes. No, that's not what it says. What? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. That is tangibly bless him. Not just in your heart and mind, but physically bless him. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This idea, the universal applicability of our good works, that we should be doing good to everybody, is explored in both the Old and New Testaments. This is not just a sort of a Paul idea. Uh, Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. Very famous verse, of course. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your, enemy, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. These are the good works, right? Good works of God that he does to who? For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Now, what's the implied answer there? None. No reward. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Not any. For, do not even the Gentiles do the same? You must therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What does love mean here? Again, it's not just a sort of a positive feeling about somebody, right? It's not just sort of, I feel good about them. 
but that I am seeking what is best for them. And I'm doing good to them. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what it was said. You've heard that it was said. But I say, love your enemies. As Paul explained it, what? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Doing good for them as an extension of who? It's an extension of God, right? We are extensions of God. We're supposed to be holy as he is per holy, perfect as he is perfect. That's what he does. He sends blessings on the just and the unjust, on the evil and the good. He is universal in his doing good toward humanity. Now, there is, of course, specific aspects of God's goodness that are reserved for his people. We understand that. But because I'm not the judge, I don't know hearts and minds, I don't get to make those sort of distinctions that God does in, in many ways. Now we think, you've heard that it was said, Jesus talking about, of course, the Old Testament here, but this idea was not absent from the Old Testament. Exodus 23, verses 4 and 5. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. Now, the temptation would have been what? You see your enemy's ox or his donkey. I don't know how this would have come about. You're wandering around in your field, perhaps, and you see a donkey, and you think to yourself, oh, that's Joe's donkey. I really hate Joe. Here's my opportunity. Now, there's, again, two options here. Fight or flight. If you're the fighting kind, what are you going to do? You're going to take the donkey, because, hey, I want this donkey. Now Joe doesn't have it. I have it instead. But, of course, there's the flight instinct as well, where you just sort of ignore it, and, and maybe Joe comes looking for it, and he's like, hey, have you seen my donkey? I don't know, I don't, I've never, I haven't seen it, right? You, just, you don't want Joe to have his donkey back, because you hate Joe. But what? If you meet your enemy's ox or donkey going astray, and it's not just tell him if he comes looking for it, but go out of your way. Bring it back to him. Go above and beyond in doing good, not just towards your friends, but to your enemies. If you see the donkey of one who hates you, lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. Helping your enemy. This is not just a New Testament idea. Who might we think doesn't deserve our good works more than our enemies, right? They mistreated me and they did this horrible, they stole my promotion or they said a horrible thing about me and started a rumor or, I don't know, whatever it is they did to you. And it's easy for us to then get into the mindset of, well, they mistreated me, so I'm going to mistreat them. Or at the very least, I'm not going to have anything to do with them. But at the core of this concept is mercy. We're returning to that idea. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness at the end of Romans 12. You may have heard mercy defined as unmerited favor. And when we typically use the word mercy, who are we thinking about? We're thinking about God toward us, right? The mercy of Jesus. And, and when it talks about being perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, he sends the rain on the just and the unjust, and the sun shines on the evil and the wicked. Of course, what's the greatest example of that is what we just talked about here, that Jesus was sent to die, not just for the good, but specifically for the evil. Unmerited favor. And so if acts of mercy is a good work, I'm going to be doing good specifically... For those who do not merit it or deserve it. The way that I think about those things. 
So as we return to our list in Romans 12 here, Romans 12, 6 through 8, we'll just read the end here. The one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And oh man, that kicker at the end, right? <laughs> I guess I could be nice to somebody I don't like, but do I have to be cheerful about it? Do I have to, oh man, it's just, do you find this to be easy? Most of us probably don't. Do you think it was easy for Jesus to take on the sins of the world? As the Hebrew writer says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Even as he was going through that, I'm sure he wasn't having happy feelings, but there was still joy because he knew the outcome of that. So when it says one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, it's hard to control necessarily, I think, how you feel about a thing, but you can still do things joyfully for those who don't, quote-unquote, deserve it. That's mercy, right? Unmerited favor. With joy, knowing the outcome of these acts. Doing acts of mercy is another one of those good works that is both a specific, special gift, as it's demonstrated here, but also a universal goal. And as we think about this in, in application of a, of a gift or a measure of grace, some people are better at this than others. People who are good at letting go of past wrongs. People who are good at moving past the things that make people have conflict. Some people are better at that than others. But everybody should be working to be better at it. Because this is a universal thing that we should be doing. Who do you good do? Who do you good? Ah, so many hard things to say. Who do you treat well? Let's just use different words. Who do you treat well? Why them? Why not others? How intentional are you? When was the last time you thought about this? Homework for this week. Think about the good works any of these that we've talked about, that you've been doing over the past, let's say, month. Who did you do them to? Who did you do them for? Who did you treat well in one of these things that we've been talking about? Make a list. And then the opposite. Who did you have opportunity to do these things for that you chose not to? If you really want to be ambitious, you could go back a year. Maybe your memory's not that good. But we tend to, if, I, if we're being honest, I suspect, we will find that we tend to do these things for the same people over and over and ignore others. Because we want to do it for people that we like. But that's not mercy. Right? Mercy specifically is doing it for people who we think maybe don't deserve it. Unmerited. Jude 1, 17 through 23. I don't know why I put one there. It's Jude 17 through 23. You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles and of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own godly passions. Of course, that's now. We're the last times. In the, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. What? Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy. Unmerited good work of Jesus that leads to eternal life. Why 
Are we doing good to everyone? Because I needed mercy. I didn't deserve grace or forgiveness or salvation. I like that song. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Freely bestowed. And then what? I'm waiting for mercy for myself. So what? Have mercy then on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Others to others show mercy with fear. Hating even the garment stained by the flesh. We're thinking about mercy. Now there's uh, I think an element of within the congregation here. Having mercy on those who doubt. Because I maybe doubt sometimes. And if we're thinking about a universal extension of this principle, thinking about the ways that you needed acts of mercy, then extending that to others. Have mercy on those who doubt. Show mercy to others with fear, even hating the garment stained by the flesh. There is that element of purity, though, here, right? Of course, we're keeping pure. We're not just doing whatever it is that anybody wants because they just want it. We're, we're maintaining our holiness, but we are still showing kindness to those who maybe, quote-unquote, don't deserve it. Mercy is a cyclical thing. I show mercy to others because Jesus showed mercy to me. It's all about motivation. So, put this list back up. We've talked about some of these. Some of these we haven't yet. As you decide who to do good to in the future... Remember the mercy of God that you needed, that I needed. So when I think about who I'm doing these things for, who I'm ignoring more specifically, who I have opportunity to do these things for but that I'm choosing not to, is that how I want God to think about me? Is that how I want God to treat me, especially at my lowest point? Of course I don't. We'll end with the text that was read for us. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 9. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now this, talking specifically about, uh, of course, the offering, the contribution that we just had. But I think a universal principle here, right, of acts of mercy. One who is stingy in their good works, God might be stingy towards them in his good works. Each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's interesting he talks about cheerfulness in the context of contributing here. Of course, in Romans, it was contributing with generosity, and it was doing acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here, of course, we're seeing again that same sort of attitude. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Not doing the bare minimum. Not doing just what's necessary to get by, but I'm seeking every opportunity to do good. Why? Because of the grace of God. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. How do you want to reap? In the blessings of God, in our relationships with others, Ultimately, in our eternal destination, if you want to reap bountifully, sow, that is, give, do, bountifully, good works, not just to those who you think deserve it, but to all. 